you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited today to be joined by Dr. Sahar Youssef, who is a cognitive neuroscientist and faculty member at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, I'm happy to say, which is my alma mater. Sahar, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. So excited to be here with you, Kathy. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me and really excited to have a conversation with you. Likewise, likewise. So before we dig in, let me properly introduce you. And so as I shared, Dr. Sahar Youssef is a cognitive neuroscientist who, after spending over a decade doing Department of Defense research on neuroplasticity and how to improve memory, attention, and overall human performance in as little as seven weeks, now researches and teaches busy leaders and their teams how to be more productive and effective at work. At Berkeley, Sahar runs the Becoming Superhuman Lab and teaches one of the most popular MBA classes called Becoming Superhuman, the Science of Productivity and Performance. Sahar has become one of the world's leading experts on cognitive training and is featured as a top scientist in the Headspace Wellbeing app. Since COVID began, Dr. Youssef has given over 300 talks and keynotes to knowledge workers in over 50 countries. That's a lot of zooming, um, Sahar. I was going to say travel, but you know we know there hasn't been a lot of that during the pandemic. She has also advised executive teams at Google, Coinbase, and Visa, and has even been invited to speak for the U.S. Congress. So I'm very excited to speak to you today about your work. But before we jump into the core of our talk about productivity and well-being, I wanted to start with your own career, Sahar, and hear a little bit about your own sustainable ambition. And what was interesting to me is like I was listening to another interview with you where you were speaking about after undergrad, you were considering multiple different paths you could take for your career. And you talked about how some of those other ambitions you realized you could perhaps take on a different time, that you didn't need to do everything all at once. And you kind of thought about how you could kind of cadence how you approach different areas of interest for yourself. So I wanted to just see if you could share a little bit more about that and how you thought about your own career interests and management of those then and now. Ooh, good question. That's like a trip down memory lane, but I, I will say, Kathy, I think it's in part sure something historical, right? That's what that's what we're talking about here, how to make choices in one's career, perhaps early, but mid and even late. It's all the same. We're always dealing with forks in the road, so to speak. But I actually think this is a daily mindset I might have. And I'm, I'm riffing here, but even hearing you describe something that I once described as it relates to my career really reminds me deeply about the questions that I ask myself daily, every day when I wake up, 
over my cup of tea, I ask myself, what needs to be done today? What does success look like for the day? Another way to ask this question, which by the way, and I'll, I'll make sure that they, we sort of end back at talking about careers. What will my future self thank me for? It's a question I like to ask myself daily, monthly, annually. I'm really constantly thinking about Sahar in the future and I'm honoring her. I'm honoring her wishes. So I'm here almost in a way as a present puppet to serve my future self in some ways. And I think about what I will regret not doing. And I'll first talk about on a day-to-day. I think about this at the start of the day so that I make sure myself at 8 p.m. is proud of what I did and also that I'm not tempted to stay online and to stay working after 8 p.m. So what do I need to get done? And this is where I'm going to uh, introduce a, a term that um, I use and, and our entire lab uses frequently, something that we call MITs. It's an acronym for just most important tasks, not rocket science here, but um, I call them my MITs. I also call some things LITs, least important tasks. And I differentiate between the two every single day. So every day when I wake up, I make a list of my MITs and my LITs. The thing is, no more than three MITs a day. Unless those MITs are, you know, 20 minutes a pop and I have a lot of time that day. Otherwise, it's got to be limited. It's got to be limited to three. And this is the, I love, I love um, your pocket. It's, it's, it's sustainable ambition, right? We can't have just crazy, reckless ambition here. Reckless ambition is staring at my to-do list every day. Like, let's be honest. My to-do list, by the way, I will say is, is pages long. I've got everything from like, I have, to, I have something related to taxes on there. I have to buy toilet paper from Amazon. Like it's like a million things all crammed together in this chaotic hodgepodge. I consider my to-do list the refrigerator or the pantry in my life. It's, it's the backlog of all of the crap that I could possibly do that day. It's all of the stuff. It's, it's possibility. It's potential. It's the can of great Northern beans that I bought like, seven months ago on a whim and they're just still sitting there collecting dust. It's the squash that I bought from Trader Joe's kind of being ambitious, even though I don't really know how to make squash. It's all of the stuff that needs to get done. So then I'm, I'm bringing it back around to careers. You need to ask yourself one, what do you want, right? What do you want to get done? What do you need to get done? And and I have to, I, I will admit something personal, not that this is advice for anyone else, but I think I do focus more on need than want. Mm. And I don't know if that's a personality trait or if it's a being a child of immigrants, like desires or just shunned, but whatever it is, I really, really have uh, my, my mind. I know always gravitates towards what needs to get done. And even when it relates to things that I want. So when you're thinking about your career, when I chose to go to um, uh, finish my PhD and to do research, it was a need, not a want. It wasn't a nice to have. I was, I know that my future self, Sahar at a hundred would have said, tisk, 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 girl, you <laughs> had everything. You were, you were positioned correctly. You, you, you had an opportunity. You had the interest. You could have done it. And guess what's going to be harder at 45 that guess what's not going to be harder at 45. You could start a business. Cause I have examples of that in my life. I see that what I don't see a lot of is people busting their butts in labs, doing menial labor <laughs> during their PhDs at 45, honestly, cause they probably, they, you know, better at that point. Like, I don't think I could do what I did at 25 now, 
But there's a bunch of stuff I put off knowing that, oh, I'm going to eat. If anything, I'm going to be better at it later. I actually putting, I put off having a family later in life because I knew in my heart of hearts, I'm, I can do it later. It's going to be fine. I understand there are risks involved. Yes. However, I'm, I'm trusting also that my, uh, my gained wisdom as I continue to get older and gain life experience will also help in that pursuit as well. So it, you can't have it all at once. So you have to really talk about, you have to really think about and talk about what needs to get done. And that need has two components, one, the desire and the motivation, of course, yes, but it's also about the timeliness. It's also about what is what needs to happen today and cannot happen next week. Mm. And that's actually how I manage my to-do list. That's how I grab stuff from the pantry is the kale wilting beyond belief. Like what needs to be eaten today? Otherwise it's going in the trash because if that zucchini is staring at me and it's looking pretty fine, it's going to wait. And that's actually how I manage. That's how I manage my kitchen. I'm just realizing now, Kathy, talking to you. Oh my gosh, this is like totally not prepared, but I'm totally <laughs> realizing this is like an absolutely this is how I view my life. It's, the, it's how I run my kitchen. It's how I run. Uh, it's how I run my career, and it's totally how I just you know manage my to dos every single day. I love it so hard. There's just like this mindset that you're bringing to how you approach your life. And I'm hearing in the day-to-day, be it your professional to-do list or what you're going to cook for your meals, and then how you're thinking about your career and so much value in what you just shared. And I appreciate that you came back to this, um, how do we think about need? Cause it's interesting that you said it's based on need, but then is, and not want, but then when you deciphered what need was for you, you did say, well, what's my desire. And then there's some timeliness to it. So I'm curious because sometimes around need, and I don't know if this is a fair question to ask you, but often people can get tripped up around the should And therefore, you know, from a need perspective, is that where you're coming from this should place or when you deciphered it a little bit more, there still was this desire element? Oh, good question. I think there's both. That's there's both in there. The the, the reason why I use the word need is is about that future self positioning again, is that I think about what do I need to do today? What do I need to accomplish in this year, in this, in the year in front of me in order to make sure that my future self isn't going to look back and go, Sahar. That's what I mean by need. It's, it's almost, it's almost um, as if I'm creating a life and systems around avoiding regret. Mm. Mm -hmm. something to that extent. The thing about this is that as long as I'm thinking as hard as I can, and I, and and I'm making the best decisions as I can in the moment, I will say, I don't really believe in the concept of regret because as long as you're not asleep at the wheel of your own life, as long as you're awake and you're, and you're thinking, what information do I have at my disposal right now? What information do I have available to me? If you use that information to the best of your ability to make decision X, And then in 10 years time, let's say you totally regret decision X. It's okay. There's no reason to feel regret because you did, you made the decision that you were supposed to make based on the information that you had available to you. So there's really no concept of regret, but I do, I do see, I see in myself that system is a system where I'm trying to avoid missing information, missing data in the moment to make the best possible decisions for my future self. 
there's definitely this, this, this notion of desire, of course, as well. But I think desire alone can lead people to not sustainable ambition, but again, like reckless ambition, Mm. because I have lots of desires. I wanted to travel the world when I was younger. That you can't have all, you can't do that and do do the and start a family. You can't do it all at the same time. So to me, focusing just on desire is like the same thing as like as if your podcast was called Reckless Ambition. It's like because then you're just unhappy. If I continue to like fuel the flame of my desire to travel the world, but I'm stuck in a lab at 26 years old working on research that I also love. It's not to say I don't like it. I I love both. But if you kind of keep fanning the flame for both desires, all the desires, then you're just going to kind of be bummed out. I think all the time you have to you have to you have to assess all the desires Assess all the desires, assess the needs, thinking about your future self, what needs to occur today that cannot occur or will occur with less fidelity, you know, with less ease five years from now, next year, 10 years from now, whatever have you. And then once you've decided it, just take a deep breath and accept it and, and just focus now. It's it's done. Don't don't keep, you know, running the wheels in the background saying like, oh, but did I, but did I, but what if, but what if, duh. I think that's, that's also a form of like reckless ambition. Yeah. Uh, I love so much of what you said. And, you know, we talk about that with sustainable ambition, this idea of like, you know, paying attention to what's important for you. And what I appreciate about what you're saying around need is it's not the should, it's really you're, you're rooting in this idea of like thinking about your future self making sure that you're making choices and making choices, not thinking you can do it all. And, um, but doing it rooted in yourself and this future self and what is going to be most important for you. And then you talk about what I'm taking away too, is this idea of cadencing and, you know, figuring out, I love where you said, like, what's going to have, I think the least fidelity or the highest fidelity, you know, in, in different moments of your life. So with that, I'm curious then what drew you to this work around helping people to be in your terms, like superhuman. And and what is your ambition around that? Oh, um, I will, I will say the interest, the core interest in helping people become superhuman in a way really started with just a love of the human brain with just a love of consciousness and the power that our brains have over everything. I, in a way, well, uh, of course, as a scientist, I love science, all sciences, but I recognize something kind of early. And that is that I think biology and specifically neuroscience, and obviously I'm biased here, I'm well aware of that, but I think it's the coolest of the sciences in, in one particular kind of funky way. And that is that sure we have physics, Sure, we have chemistry. Sure, we have math even. But all of these other sciences in a way exist in our world by way of being filtered through the human brain. It's like we have these rose-colored glasses stuck to our our faces and we can't take them off because it is our consciousness. I understand the concept of gravity by way of learning about it through my mind, being aware of it through my mind. It's not to say that it doesn't exist outside of my mind. It's to say that I, I, as a human being, selfishly experience the entire world through the lens of my own consciousness. So I think if you're going to start somewhere, study something, 
for me, it was, oh, for sure. I'm starting with the foundation, which is the, every, the way everything gets filtered. I understand that one plus one equals two because of this, you know, hunk of meat atop my shoulders. <laughs> so I really want to figure out what, the, what, what this is because it seems to have a lot of power because if it gets warped, my concept of the world gets warped. So I want to understand how this thing works and the pack and the power and the impact that it can have. I think it's just started with, with just basic interest. And then through experiences in my life uh, and in the lab, studying something that we call neuroplasticity, which is the process of the brain changing and evolving and adapting based on experience and stimuli, we can see that that evolution and that change is possible and that it's occurring. So if I know that kind of change is possible, what's stopping us from figuring out ways without taking drugs? So we're talking about non-invasive techniques, without supplements, without drugs, without things from the outside, exogenous things. What can we do endogenously from the inside? How can we change our mindsets, our approach to things to, in fact, improve our quality of life? And that's really where it started. That interest of like, can humans be better? Because it just kind of feels like we wake up and nobody teaches us how to learn or how to work or how to live. We just kind of start doing it. And we're always focusing on, well, what do I want to do? It's the what, not the how. I'm focusing on what I want to study. You know, when kids are in school, it's like, what do I want to study? Who do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to do? And then you get to your job and it's like, well, these are the things that your responsibilities. This is the what, the what, the what. Never the how. What is the right way for humans to do X, Y, Z? And that's really where I got fascinated. And that's, you know, it, the rest of it is really history is um, figuring out ways and really focusing your, my life at least on techniques, strategies, mindset shifts, things that you can do, even behaviors that you can do that will in fact improve not only baseline cognitive function. So things like your attention span, your memory, your information processing speed, but also just the way that you feel, your wellness, your self-awareness, your uh, ability to control not only your behavior, but your emotions and your mind. So a lot of these things. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. Well, and part of what you're, I was taking away at the end there that you were saying as well was this, when you're talking about the how it's, it's so interesting because when we, if, if somebody is, is a woodworker, say, so my husband happens to be a woodworker. He's very, he maintains his tools, right? Or you were talking about cooking. We maintain our tools in our kitchen. And it's almost as if we aren't trained, I'm hearing you say, to know how to maintain this tool of our brain, our body, et cetera. And athletes know this, you know, and are, um, but not all of us, like I'm an athlete, but yet I'm not always great about maintaining my tool. Like I don't stretch enough. I don't do some strengthening things enough. Um, but it's really like you're saying from especially a professional perspective or for our overall well-being that we are trained on how to um, maintain this tool of ours. And I'm curious around that, like, so what are some of the common things that kind of tend to get in our way of that? Like that maybe do bury these neural pathways in ways that are not optimal for us. Oh, I love the way that you said that, Kathy. It's, it's totally about sharpening tools. It's totally about maintaining the tool and, and you're, you hit the, you hit the, the nail on the head there, I think. Um, and you're right. It's, we focus so much on using the tools and we're upset when they don't work <laughs> the way we want them to, but we don't really talk about or teach 
uh, how to maintain the tools. And I will say it's because we're learning. Neuroscience is a very young field. It's not as old and, and uh, in a way wise yet compared to fields like physics. Neuroscience is in its renaissance. It's, it's now, it's happening. The things that I learned 15 years ago have become obsolete. Like it's where it's changing at the drop of a hat every day, every day we're learning more. So I'll say that I'll give us the, the, you know, a, a little bit of uh, slack here that we don't really know how to maintain the tools. We're still learning about the tool itself. And, oh, we're, we're like, we're finding aspects of the new tool. We're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize there's this doohickey under here. Whoa, neat. Okay, well, what does it do? How does it work? All of these things. Um, but your question, Kathy, was what is, what's, what are some aspects of that maintenance that, that you think are the most important? Was that right? Yeah. Well, I was also asking like what tends to get in the way and then, but you can start there, start with like, what are some of the things that we can do to, to maintain whichever question feels good to you? Okay. All right. Well, I I can kind of mix them all together because they're connected. So this is, um, okay. I'll start off with some of the foundations foundation of cognitive performance of neurological performance and all the things that we care about in life, productivity, focus, all of it, sleep. If you are not sleeping seven to nine hours a night, the whole thing, the whole system, all the tools are on fire. They're not working properly. They're actually operating, actually, by the way, as if they're drunk. I can send you that paper and maybe we can upload it to the the show notes so folks can take a peek at it. Yeah, if you skip sleep, if you are slightly sleep deprived, it is as if you have a 0.05% blood alcohol level. You're just drunk operating in life. You're entering a meeting. You're going on a date. You're talking to your kid. It's you're drunk. You're drunk. The, uh, the, the risk of you saying something incorrect, something that you wouldn't otherwise say, all of those same things that we would want to avoid and be worried about, you know, if we're under the influence, same exact thing is true if you are sleep deprived. Now, I do recognize that we're dealing with a lot of sleep issues in the modern world. So many people I know struggle with falling asleep, staying asleep, sleep quality, et cetera. That could be an entire different podcast with us. Um, so I won't dive into a lot of the details here, but just know that sleep is so, 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 so important. And we as a society have started to deprioritize sleep. And I think that it is probably the biggest mistake that I see people making. I deal with a lot of CEOs, executives, and I sit down with them and they're like, okay, well, what supplement should I be taking? What, what is the small change that I can make to kind of, again, like sharpen my tools? Like what, do I buy a tool? Well, how do I make this tool? And then I find out that they're not sleeping, that they're sleeping five, six hours a night. And I'm like, what's the point of optimizing this one little thing or giving you the whole thing is on fire? If you're not, if you're not sleeping, that's, that's really truly what it is. So Sleep is absolutely the foundation. I will say now I'll answer your other question of what's getting in the way. And that is our relationship with our devices. It's the notifications. The human brain has not evolved, has not evolved over centuries to deal with a constant stream of interruptions and notifications. Ding, ping, buzz, buzz, ding, ding. No, that's not how we are made to operate. Your brain can't help but continue to pay attention to the, if you keep your inbox open, for example, when you're working on another window, you have your inbox or you have Slack open perpetually and you're trying to sit down and concentrate, you are not as intelligent as you are throughout the course of the day. 
You need to put phone out of sight, out of mind. Inbox needs to be shut down. No notifications need to be on in order for you to actually sit down and focus and benefit from the entire power of your cognitive capacity and intelligence. If you have that other stuff open, I assure you, you're going to have to trust me on this. And I'm happy to, to also send at Kathy some, some of the other studies to back this up. You are not at 100%. I'd love that research actually, Sahar, because I've seen that you've showed that and it's remarkable the, um, uh, how much your cognitive, um, I don't know the right term, but like your, your performance declines just by having, even you were showing like having a phone in the room, even turned off, like it, it's, it was remarkable. So that would be great to share and have in the show notes for people. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so interesting. So you're saying, so like first, I, what I love about these two, Sahar, that you're no, noting is one, increasing our sleep. And of course, I'm one of these bad people that doesn't always get the sleep that I should. So it's a great reminder, but it's something that's so easy. It's totally within our control and you don't have to buy anything, right? It might take some discipline on our part. Um, but then the other piece of it, like you're saying, is all these distractions that we have in our lives. And I was curious about this distraction piece too, a little bit, because it just seems so easy for us to get distracted all the time. And, you know, and it takes uh, some discipline to, it seems to kind of control ourselves. And I was curious, like, if you have any thoughts on like, why do we get so distracted and get pulled to these devices or anything else even? Is it just because we have them around and they are pinging us? Or is there something else like behaviorally that we need to think about to kind of control ourselves, if you will? Oh, this is, this is, this could also be an entirely separate sort of podcast conversation, but I will say, um, it's two things and they're working in tandem to create the situation that we now have in front of us. One is our basic biology. So think of it as it's, it's your base state, the way that the human brain works and specifically the way that dopaminergic systems and networks work in the human brain. So I'm sure a lot of folks are familiar with the, the term dopamine. Dopamine is a neuromodulator. It's a, it's a really important one. It's a pretty powerful one. And my stance, my, my understanding is a lot, a lot of people kind of think of dopamine as the brain's sort of reward and pleasure chemical that it has to do with happiness, right? It actually has more to do with motivation and anticipation of good things than anything else, which is really interesting. And I, and I, and I, and I say this and I'm going to wrap this into why we're so distracted and why we mm. want to be in a way so distracted. Dopamine is the brain's primary, not just reward chemical, but also motivation chemical neuromodulator really. We are wired to seek dopamine and we need it to tell us what behaviors we ought to keep doing, what things give us good feelings at the end, sort of rewards, so to speak, at the very end of pursuing that thing. You read an amazing book, it takes you four weeks to read the book, and at the end you feel great. That's a lot of investment for feeling pretty great at the end. How do we get ourselves to enjoy the, the hard work though and the process of reading? That's really the, the, the critical, that's a huge part of becoming superhuman is becoming addicted to the process, being addicted to the grind, being addicted to the, to the, to, to the work 
to become sustainably ambitious, right? I actually think that we can bring this back to sustainable ambition because how do you make ambition sustainable? I can get super excited about, you know, running a 5K, doing a thing, like doing something hard and ambitious. I need to be able to sustain that excitement, that motivation, that ambition in time. Otherwise it will peter out and then I will become demotivated. And then I will end up looking to faster sources of dopamine, faster sources of reward, faster and easier sources of ambition. What's some of the, what is the fastest way when you wake up in the morning? I'm just thinking even about myself, about everyone I know. You wake up in the morning, alarm goes off, you turn the alarm off, you open up your eyes and you're thinking to yourself, well, what is the easiest and fastest way to me, for me to feel like I'm participating in the world? Like I'm doing something, like I'm getting something done. It's likely not going to be to open up your computer without checking any messages and to do instead um, like some sort of uh, data analysis. I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be to spend the next four hours in solitude doing my data analysis and because I'm not really sure if it's going to work, quite frankly. The easiest way for me to feel a sense of accomplishment and it's less sustainable ambition. It's it's like monetary, momentary ambition is for me to check messages. So it's a mixture of our base biology. Your base biology is working against you here as it relates to how our devices work. And by the way, the people who design these devices know our base biology because they've actually hired people like me out of labs around the world to work in-house to try to make these devices as addictive as possible. So please know that it's not just accidental. It's very much intentional. There's literally years worth of research that have gone into how to make, you know, the smartphone as addictive as humanly possible to the brain, all of this stuff. So it's in part our base biology and in part the behavior and the way that the these devices are designed and the way that we allow them, the way that we allow them to be present in our lives. I have this motto that I'm really, uh, that I've been kind of shouting from the rooftops at least this past couple of months, that we are better than our phone's default settings. Mm. We are better than, it's not just the phone, it's, it's we are better than default settings. Do not default to the default. You're better than the default. The default settings for all these devices are designed in a way to keep your attention coming back for more, to keep you your eyes glued to the screen, to keep you focused on it. Even when there's nothing happening in your phone that you feel a sense of FOMO, that you're like, oh, wait, mm, why has nobody, I haven't gotten any, hmm, hmm. There's a reason for that. Your brain misses the dopamine. It's sad. The more time you spend on the device, the more time you have to spend on the device. This is the stuff people aren't talking about. Mm -hmm. The more time that you spend on social media, the more sad you get. And the more time that you have to spend on social media to get happy again. But the thing is, it's, it's 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 a totally awful, vicious cycle. So it's in part the brain and it's in part the way that the devices are designed and the way that we're allowing them to interact with us and our base biology. Mm. But totally, we got to change our default settings. You got to turn the notifications off. It's super silly. I've seen people have notifications for, oh my gosh, can the AccuWeather? Like you need a weather notification? Get out of town. Come on now. <laughs> you don't need that. If it's an emergency, someone, you'll get an alert of some sort or just look out the window. But like really rethink what notifications ought to be on. Um, if you're a caretaker, I get it. Those are VIP notifications and those can come through the filter. But so a lot of people don't even know you can set up VIP notifications. 
You can do it in Outlook. You can do it in Gmail. You can do it on your phone. It's certain numbers, certain people that email you, you'll get a ping, but everything else is silenced by default. Mm. Very wise counsel. Well, and I'm also curious around this idea, like, do you have a tip or like one tip around this idea of retraining ourselves to actually like the intrinsic process and to be addicted to that? Like what gets us to shift towards that kind of mindset? Oh, this is where, this is now we're talking about hard work. I consider all the stuff we've talked about so far. I'm like, it's gotta be, that's like easy, easy peasy, or at least easier than the stuff we're going to talk about now. Like change your default settings. You got to put your phone out of sight, out of mind, close out of email, close out of Slack when you're actually sitting down to get focused work done. How do you actually change your mindset to be excited by and motivated by the grind? There you have to start doing the hard work of talking to yourself. You've got to be aware that the grind in and of itself is amazing. And one of the easiest ways to do that, I say easy, but take that with a grain of salt, easy with air quotes, <laughs> easy ways to do that is to start a new narrative. You have to start changing your beliefs around hard work. Accomplishment is not the end. Accomplishment is not the prize. Accomplishment, if you have a goal of, um, having a business that's uh, doing, you know, I don't know, 5 million in, in revenue by the end of the year, something like that. You don't, it, it is, it is not wise to suspend feelings of happiness, celebration, pride for the end when you actually reach the 5 million. That is the easiest way to negate growth mindset and to diminish any kind of sustainable ambition you might be feeling towards that goal. And I promise you, you will burn out. Instead, week one, when you're starting, you need to reflect at the end of the week and go, wow, I kicked butt. Look at all the things I did this week. You need to connect your daily actions, your weekly initiatives, your monthly milestones to those long-term goals. You need to be able to see that the actions you're taking, each step that you're taking on a hike, let's say, is getting you closer to the summit. It's not about the summit. Don't worry about the summit. It's about the steps you're taking. The grind feels good and the grind is what's important. And you just have to keep telling that to yourself. And I know that part is, this is why I said it's hard work. I'm like, it's not, unfortunately, there's no motivation pill I can give you. It's not like, oh, by the way, we, all we need is more magnesium. No, unfortunately, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not that easy. But if you actually have to start rewiring and the way that you do that is by changing narratives in your mind and, and like appreciating the hard work. Give yourself a little bit of pat on the back. You can do this with psychological reinforcement and like psychological acknowledgement of the hard work and the grind and how important the grind is. And you can also do that by truly rewarding the grind, giving yourself a, a real reward. You can do that exogenously from the outside too. Mm, so great. I love that. And I can appreciate it's not easy work per se, but like this is a really important one and, and where to point folks. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, this idea of kind of productivity, but you also focus on well-being. And you also said part of what attracted you to this work was also just broader quality of life. And part of the reason I want to bring this up is, you know, sometimes these days, because everyone's concerned about burnout and rightfully so, sometimes I've experienced it where people sometimes get a little prick when I talk about productivity or enhancing productivity, because they then think, oh, it's just all you're focused on just solely productivity maximization or about hard work and kind of 
supporting the hustle culture. And I think it's quite the opposite of what you're, you know, advising here. But I was curious about if you could say a little bit more about how well-being, you know, really factors into your work. And are there any cognitive benefits to well-being versus just productivity? Yes. And I will say, I think it's inherent in the definition of productivity. So in our lab, with my general thesis, my goal for people is not to get more work done. That just seems silly. That's also reckless ambition. We are all about actually, um, we have we have a, a key word in common, Kathy, you and I, and that is the word sustainable. In our coursework at um, the UC Berkeley Haas School of Business uh, with our MBA students, um, outside of that with clients, with training teams, we talk about a concept that we call sustainable peak performance. To perform is that productivity piece that people usually think about when they think of productivity, They're like doing more stuff, running really fast, running, really, running, 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 really, really, really fast. That's performance. Peak performance is to be running, yes, super fast, sure, but in the right direction. That's what peak performance is. Peak performance is running, yes, efficiently and super fast, but in on the right priorities, on the stuff that matters. And to be sustainably peak performing, we're layering on all these words, sustainably peak performing is to be able to do things like run super fast in the right direction quarter after quarter, year after year without burning out. It has to be sustainable. We're humans. We're big bags of blood and guts and chemicals. We're not machines. You can't just plug us into the wall. So it has to be sustainable. So sustainable peak performance is always the goal state, so to speak, that we refer to in our work. Uh, but productivity for the sake of productivity is super dumb in my book. Uh, productivity is really all about getting your most important work done, getting your most important work done, right? Kind of hearkening back to those needs again, those needs and desires. It's like what actually needs to get done? Because a lot of the time we end up prioritizing busy work because it's fast dopamine, by the way, right? I stay in my inbox all day because it feels good and I'm not getting the really important stuff done. And then I just feel super stressed out. Well, why do you think that is? You're not getting the important stuff done. Don't you think that follow-up email to, you know, Vanessa could have waited till to tomorrow, but instead you did all these like little things and not the big things. So we talk about productivity, right? Not for the sake of productivity, but getting your most important work done in less time with less stress. Our goal for people, if they were to embark on the process of, by the way, becoming superhuman, and I'm actually going to bring this back to the, what, what you asked me before, Kathy, about sustainable ambition and how do you get addicted to the grind? There's a reason why our lab and our company is called becoming superhuman and not superhuman and not become superhuman. It's not a gestalt binary experience. You don't just become superhuman, you get a certificate and you're done. It's a grind. It's a journey. It's a process. People ask all the time and they totally, it's, we get typos all the time because it's a very odd word to use, becoming superhuman. There's a reason. And it's because I don't want people to be thinking about the summit of that mountain anymore. It's not about the 5 million in revenue. It's not about that. It's about the grind. It's about the, the daily becoming. I want people to get obsessed and feel joy at the becoming process. It's just every day, how do we become together? How do we become more human together? It's a constant daily process and grind. And it's not for the sake of getting honestly more shit done. That's that's the just sole productivity. But productivity really is getting the right things done so that you have more time to actually live your life. Mm. 
Because unless you, by the way, for everyone who is W2'd at a company, unless you change the amount of work you got to get done, I wish I could go to each one of your companies and your bosses and slash the amount of work that you got to get done. But typically, like, I, first of all, I can't do that. And if you can't do that yourself, then the work's got to get done, let's be honest. Then the goal should be to try to get it done efficiently so that we can move on. That's my goal. That's what I'm, that's where I come in is I come in and I tell you the fastest ways to get stuff done, the best ways to get stuff done that's in line with your body, in line with the brain so that you have more energy to spare and time to spare at the end of the day. So you can spend time with your family, your friends, do stuff, whatever it is, woodworking. Well, woodworking is also a, a very a high powered job. So for some that might be fun for others. It's just, it's work. <laughs> but whatever it is that you would like to do with your spare time. Yeah, I love that. And so much good in what you're saying. And I love that you're reframing this narrative too and making it more holistic. And I also love that you're bringing it back to this idea of becoming, it really, you know, it took me, a little bit to understand like the brilliance of Michelle Obama naming her book that. And I've also started to kind of embrace this narrative of becoming, because I don't think that everybody realizes that, you know, we don't just get on one track and stay on that track and never think that anything is going to change. We change, life changes, our surroundings change, and we are constantly learning and therefore becoming over time. And so I do also hear in what you're sharing too, that this act of learning how to sharpen our tools, if you will, is an act of constant learning and growth. And so, you know, we need to take it as such and, and realize that we, we need to be, be becoming superhuman over time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious in your research, just like a final question um, or two before we wrap up is just, is there, you know, cause I'm also thinking about the fact that you, how great you got to do some research with John Legend around um, music and, um, you know, I'm curious if anything like that, or is there something in your research, this is going to be a hard question. Sorry. I realized that I'm about <laughs> to ask, which is like, is there something that's just like, you've learned in your research over the years that just delights you or that has been like your biggest surprise in terms of a learning? I'll take this opportunity to bring one thing up, bubble up to the surface of people's minds. And I understand this may not come as a surprise to many, and it truly, I would say it both didn't surprise me and really did surprise me. And that is the, oh my goodness, I don't even know what word to use to really um, communicate the weight of the amount, the decades worth of research and the amount of change and the power of a very small thing that people can start doing for about 10 minutes a day that can have such a big impact on their lives. And specifically, it can have such a big impact on their brains for the rest of their lives. And that thing is something that we call in the West meditation. Meditation, or what we many times in the literature call attention regulation training, has been shown to literally change your brain without you needing to take drugs. You don't need a prescription. It's not expensive. It's free to do. You can do it anytime, anywhere. It's, it's stuff that you're doing in your head. It's literally stuff that you're doing in your head, but it is actually pretty much one of the only ways that you can take your brain to the gym. It's the only way that you can actually change and strengthen your own brain so that it lasts for you later in life, so that it's stronger today, even that you're more focused, that you can actually control some of that sustainable ambition that we were talking about. If you want to get better at resisting your notifications, 
start meditating. You want to get better at not yelling at your Wi-Fi modem the next time it goes out. You just emotional regulation, start meditating. You want to get better at going to sleep when you actually want to go to sleep start meditating. I know it sounds like a panacea. And this is where I really do mean this from the bottom of my heart. I, I'm not into panaceas. It's not a thing. And I, and I don't like sort of cheesy, like, oh my gosh, look, it fixes everything and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. I don't like that inherently, but this is the shocking part about meditation is that it is from a very much data-backed and research-backed way associated with every single one of those things that I just talked about. I can't argue with the science. I go, there's no way this thing, are you, you're kidding, right? Just sitting and focusing sitting and focusing. And it doesn't even matter laying down. You can lay down in bed and do it. You can stand up and do it. You can walk and do it. You can sit in a chair and do it. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how you do it. As long as you're focusing your mind, it makes such a big difference in so many different avenues in life. That's what blows my mind. So that, that would be my, the answer to your question, Kathy. It's, it's the power, the sheer power of meditation when meditation is truly only a three-step process of sitting down and focusing, noticing when your mind wanders, and then redirecting your attention back to focus. And that is it. That's shocking to me. Uh, uh, That's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much for getting that in. You have shared so many great tips and wisdom with us in this conversation, and really many of them totally doable totally doable to improve both our productivity and our well-being. So thank you so much for this conversation. If people want to learn more, where can they reach out and find you? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for this amazing conversation. Um, And uh, yes, if you'd like to stay in touch, I would absolutely welcome it. Our lab is actually putting out new research all of the time. Uh, We have, um, I call it an infrequent newsletter (laughs) because as I mentioned, I'm not really a huge fan of pinging people often as, as is probably evident from our conversation, but every couple of months we send a very short email out with new research, new tips, things that are super practical. Um, and we do keep it short and concise and you can sign up for that newsletter at our labs website, which is becoming superhuman.science. It's not a.com. It's a dot science becoming superhuman.science. And there you can reach, uh, there's a, a place where you can sign up um, for resources um, and a newsletter there. Fabulous. Well, I will, of course, capture that in the show notes, as well as the research that you mentioned earlier. Sahar, thank you so much again for being on with me. This has been a fabulous conversation. I've really enjoyed it and really appreciate you sharing with everyone what you have learned about this beautiful brain of ours that we have on our shoulders. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's been such a pleasure and um, hopefully talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.